Hey, welcome to the Bartender's Perspective. I'm so happy to have you here. Work is done for the day. Pull up a chair, have a seat. I'll pour you a club soda with lime. Let's get started. There's a reason I poured a club soda tonight. Tonight's podcast, we're going to talk about alcoholism. I'm going to cover some broad topics around alcoholism, you know, some various treatments. Over time, prior to the formation of AA, like some controversial, what were they thinking stuff, um, you know, some, and then some simple yet valuable FYI about how alcoholism affected other societies and what some societies did about it. I'll mention some scriptures from the Bible, you know, and, let's, and we'll begin with some stories of people I encountered. So of all the things you know, I see when people come into the bar, you know, alcoholism is the one you know, I see the most. I have people who come in and have one or two drinks and then let me know, you know they don't want any more so they have to drive. I recall that my antics you know, in the service industry episode about the mother with a glass of wine at the bar whose children, which I didn't know about, came running from the game room, complaining and very upset that their mother was drinking as if it was a common thing. It still breaks my heart to this day. I had a young lady um, one time come through the bar for exactly one week. I'd not seen her before, but she came in and had a beer and a shot every day. Oh, what was it? It was Jim Beam and, yeah, Lagunitas. That, that was her, her combination, her poison. But the end of the week came around. She was in the middle of her beer when she burst into tears for no reason. Like, I'm just like, What? I asked her what was wrong, you know, and she informed me that she was an alcoholic and had been coming to see me after her meetings every day. You know, she sobbed and sobbed and begged me not to judge her, which I informed her, you know, she would get no judgments from me. Part of my job, you know, is that you can come to see me, you know, and let's talk about whatever you want and I, I won't judge you for it. You know, I haven't seen her, sadly. Um, yeah, since that time, I will say this, uh, the one time I might judge you, big man came in with his wife. He was six, four, six, five. And, you know, he had a small petite wife and a six ounce glass of Moscato was ordered and a very large beer, like 32 mug was ordered. And I came to the table, you know, and I've, stopped assuming over the years and you know and i put the drinks down and <laughs> this small petite woman with a beer glass about half you know half the size of her head and then her very 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 large husband who i mean he had gargantuan hands picks up this little tiny six ounce wine glass of moscato And y'all, it's funny. You know, I I didn't even have to say anything. And the wife was like, we know. <laughs> I used to have a regular who came in to get a burger and a mixed drink with vodka. You know, he would have me put you know, a double into a small glass with some ice, you know, sour and a single strawberry. 
he would have to use both his hands as they would shake until his you know second drink, which I typically waited till after he had his food. So, you know, some of my regulars assume guilty by association, or in this case, nature and nurture. They assume because they had a family member in their family that struggled with alcohol, that they automatically have a problem as well. But that just isn't always the case. You know, I have a regular, she comes in, she, you know, she likes her Patron and her martinis, and she was finishing a drink one night, and she had this look on her face that I don't normally see. You know, she's such a bright, bubbly young lady, and I asked her what was wrong. And she's like, I'm just concerned. I'm like, why? You know, she was like, because I noticed this week, you know, I thought about not having a drink, and yet I drank every day. You know, my mom is an alcoholic, you know, and I'm afraid I'm an alcoholic. And I'm like, so let me ask you this. You know, do you think about alcohol when you wake up? She's like, yeah. And it's like, do you, you want to have a drink as soon as you get your day started? She's like, well, I mean, no. And I'm like, and when do you typically have a drink? She's like, when I get off from work. And, you know, I, she generally has like, uh, two shots and maybe a drink, and then she always stops herself because she has to drive. You know, so I assured her basically that I seriously doubt you're an alcoholic, and you know, just because your mother is an alcoholic doesn't mean that you are too. So, uh, but yeah, I get things like that often. I'll be honest, I myself, I'm an alcoholic. You know, I struggled with it for a while, but reaching out for support you know aa groups are the way to go you know being in isolation is just not good you know because you just get into your own head and then you get into your own head and sometimes you get stuck there so yeah that's another one of the reasons i started this podcast you know was to help people who struggle with this addiction you know and let them know there's hope i uh, recently had a guest um, who came into the bar. He's been a regular for a long time. Um, he liked his double uh, well tequila and pineapple. Oh, he'd have about three drinks, you know, but he would always eat, you know, in the middle. And he lived uh, nearby, you know, the bar. So he walked, and I never really had to worry about him. But he came in one day, and he just looked more you know, haggard and just unhappy and looked like he hadn't rested. I asked him what happened. Y'all, when I tell you this, I was in a state of shock. Um, he had gone home one night and he was mad about something having to do with his job. You know, the, there were family issues and he was just not happy with his life at that moment in time. And the struggle was so real, you know, from drinking tequila, he was in his office working, and I guess his emotions got the better of him, and he trashed his office. You know, he destroyed computer monitors, uh, apparently ripped his desk apart, put holes in the wall. I was just in a state of shock, you know, to hear this, because, you know, this gentleman, I just, he never seemed like the type to me. 
But since that time, um, he does still come in, but he only drinks club soda and lime. So, you know, this episode is partially, you know, dedicated to him and his struggles and everybody else as well. So the Bible is riddled with scripture pertaining to alcoholism and addiction. You know, Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drinks raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Deep stuff, y'all. Deep stuff. You know, the risk of addiction, the lack of control, and other dangers are why those uh, who overuse alcohol are unwise. The phrasing here might also be translated to imply you know, that such a person will not become wise thanks to a life derailed by drinking, you know, by not becoming wise, just not recognizing what's going on around you because you're so out of it. You know, families, you know, friends suffer, jobs suffer, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 18, you know, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. This verse, you know, it tells the, the believer to live an authentic, empowered life, you know, and do not get drunk with wine, you know, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It begins with a negative command, you know, don't get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, which dissipation, it means excess existing hopelessly <clears throat> out of control. Yeah, that's, that's deep stuff. I had fun finding these scriptures. First Corinthians, you know, chapter six, verse 12. This is a pretty common one. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are unlawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You know, again, this is a, a common Bible verse. You know, it's about drug addiction, alcoholism, and essentially anything else that enslaves us. You know, this verse is very clear, straightforward. I mean, it's straight up explicitly saying, while we can do certain things, it doesn't mean they're good for us. <laughs> Man, that could apply to so many things in this life, but we're not going to talk about those. I'll just go off on a tangent. We'll be here all day. Um, from the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 23, verses 20 and 21, this will be the last Bible scripture. You know, be not among wine bibblers, among, I said that word, <laughs> be not among wine bibbers, <laughs> among riotous eaters of flesh. You know, for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe the man with rags. I thought about this one. I mean, this verse, it literally mentions drunkenness and gluttony. But the meaning is broader. You know, the concept applies to those who are often drunk or who overeat. Yet it also refers to those you know, dominated by urges and appetites. You know, the modern party-hard attitude, which celebrates out-of-control indulgence, you know, is part of that mistake. But ask yourself... How can you relate these scripture examples in your own life? Are you struggling with alcoholism today or know someone who is? You know, take a moment to think about it. 
All right. Anyways, let us move on. Alcoholism, it goes back and has come a long way. You know, I, I did a podcast episode a while ago where I had to do my own independent study. When I went to work in a sports bar and I had to learn about beer and everything there was. Whenever I tend to research things, I tend to look at other stuff too, just because I feel like they might be pertinent. And I, t- I did uh, take a deeper dive into the history of alcoholism, because you know, of course I thought it might help, help me do my job better. But yeah, I found some pretty interesting stuff about alcoholism and history. So let's talk about in ancient times, you know, alcohol was often an integral part of rituals and daily life. You know, this is going to be some broad examples. I don't want to bore you with too much history. Uh, Sumerian beer, you know, to Egyptian wines, these libations played a significant role, you know, in society. But with excess came consequences. And the Greeks, for instance, they recognized the detrimental effects of alcohol on both individuals and communities. While specific historical records of alcoholism in ancient Samaria, they were limited. What's important to note here is the insights uh, that could be drawn from available historical and you know archaeological evidence. In ancient Samaria, which is, of course is modern-day Iraq today, you know, beer was common and a significant part of their culture, and they're often credited with the invention of beer. But excessive alcohol consumption, it was likely prevalent. And, you know, there were cuneiform texts to mention concerns about overindulgence in alcohol. But keep in mind, the concept of alcoholism, as we understand it today, with medical and psychological frameworks, they didn't exist in ancient times. I tell you what, the ancient Greeks, they were prepared. They recognized the detrimental effects of alcohol on both individuals, you know, and communities. For example, in the works of philosophers like Plato and Aristotle, excessive drinking was condemned for its potential to lead to irrational behavior, moral decay, and social disruption. I mean, we all, I think we can all relate there. They emphasized moderation in all aspects of life, including alcohol consumption. The Greeks addressed this issue uh, with various strategies in place. Uh, They organized social gatherings called symposia, where drinking was moderated and often accompanied by intellectual discussions. (laughs) Can you imagine that? You know, you're drinking, you're drinking, and at one point, what is the meaning of life? And before you know it, (laughs) you've sobered up from having to think so deeply. (laughs) Uh, But they also introduced laws to regulate the sale and consumption of alcohol such as prohibiting alcohol in certain public spaces and, you know, imposing penalties for drunkenness. Man, I tell you what, here we are today. (laughs) The rules still apply. Additionally, they encouraged physical fitness and athletics as a way to divert energy away from excessive drinking. But overall, uh, the ancient Greeks, they acknowledged the negative impact of alcohol and, you know, sought to address it through moderation, regulation, you know, cultural practices that promoted a balanced lifestyle. Let's go on to the Middle Ages. There was definitely a significant shift. Alcohol, you know, was definitely consumed, but it began to be associated with social problems. 
It was often termed the disease of drunkenness. It was seen as a moral failing leading to public humiliation, you know, confinement, and even in some cases, witch hunts. In the Middle Ages, a significant social problem associated with alcoholism was the detrimental impact it had on families and communities due to excessive drinking. Sounds the same like it is today. But in this era, access to clean water was often limited, uh, making alcoholic beverages like ale and mead, you know, more common. Another reason the water was limited because the water... Um, it was increasingly hard to find clean water at that time. Excessive alcohol consumption could lead to family breakdowns, you know, neglect responsibilities. I mean, often like it is today, heightened rates of domestic violence. Except we couldn't actually call 911 back then. <laughs> so, anyways, end of the 19th century, you know, the birth of the temperance movement, concerns over alcohol. The societal impacts led to the rise of organizations uh, like the Women's Christian Temperance Union, who they were like, abstinence, straight abstinence. You know, this era, which I thought was pretty cool, you know, it laid the groundwork for the future approaches to alcoholism um, and treatment as we know it today. Sigmund Freud, I tell you what, other than being the father of psychoanalysis, you know, Freud he recommended using cocaine to treat alcoholism and morphine addiction. Really? <laughs> Sigmund Freud began using cocaine himself, calling it the magical drug. Now, Freud and other American physicians used cocaine to treat alcoholism and morphine addiction. But in the last of Freud's writings, he backed off his former defense of using cocaine to treat you know, morphine addiction and you know, whatever the case may be. They had these uh, inebriant homes and straight-up asylums uh, that were close. The alcoholism alcoholics uh, were sent to drunk tanks, wards, and dirty, foul, run-down wards of you know, hospitals. You know, the clinical therapies were poorly evaluated. There was ethical abuse, economic depression. I mean, it just it was bad, y'all. I mean, after inebriate homes and asylums closed, you know, alcoholics, uh, alcoholics are sent to city drunk tanks, you know, in public hospitals, and finally on to full-fledged insane asylums, because, you know, they didn't have anywhere else to send them at that time. But thankfully, the early 20th century brought significant advancements in the understanding of alcoholism as a disease. Uh, Dr. Benjamin Rush you know, considered the father of American psychiatry, you know, he recognized it as a medical condition. There was uh, the Emanuel Clinic in Boston that they began to lay therapy uh, for the treatment of alcoholism. It was a church-based form of psychotherapy to heal addictions with. It was a combination of spirituality and super cool psychological interventions. But yeah, I won't bore you with the details. I just thought that was super cool. This one, I tell you what, everybody, I'm so glad it was not the early 1900s, like right now, anyways. There was a passage of state laws that call for the sterilization of the mentally ill, developmentally disabled, and alcohols and addicts. Legislation, it granted the medical supervisors of asylums and prisons the authority to asexualize a patient. Really? Really? 
or inmate of such you know action would improve his or her physical, mental, moral condition. Great. The guy's got a drinking problem. Let's sterilize him. <laughs> but yeah, among those most affected were alcoholics and addicts who were considered degenerate and feeble-minded. But in her stage left, Bill W., Dr. Bob, uh, they founded Alcoholics Anonymous in the 1930s, introducing the concept of group support and the famous 12-step program as we know it today. Uh, it's all downhill from here. As we approach the latter half of the 20th century, medical science contributed significantly to alcoholism treatment. You know, innovations like medications uh, to curb crazy cravings and a recognition of co-occurring mental health issues change the la landscape of rehabilitation. I have a psychiatrist, you know, that I talked to about this uh, briefly, you know, to confirm a lot of what I. I read it in my research and you know, before I prepared this episode. So, yeah, it's just super cool. You know, alcoholism, you know, the treatment has come a long way. We've moved beyond the stigmatization of the past and we got holistic approaches, physical, mental, social aspects of addiction. Excuse me, addiction. Like we're talking about math. Uh, Evidence-based therapies, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't want to bore you anymore with, with facts. I just, I don't know. I thought it'd be cool to share these uh, things with y'all. But the story of alcoholism treatment, you know, it's far from over. Challenges like access to care, you know, stigma, and the evolving nature of addiction continue to you know, shape the landscape in our society. As we look to the future, you know, there's hope in emerging technologies and a growing understanding of the genetic factors that contribute to addiction. But in conclusion, you know, ex our exploration of alcoholism has shed light on the complex challenges individuals face today. By fostering understanding and empathy, you know, we hope to encourage open conversation you know, and support networks. Remember, y'all, seeking help is a sign of strength. You know, together, we can break the stigma surrounding alcoholism and work towards a healthier, more compassionate future. But in closing, if you like my podcast, please feel free to tell at least three people about my podcast if you think they'll get something out of it. This will help me continue to get my message out there to more people. If you love my show and want to show your support, you can go to my website and leave me a tip in the tip jar. But unless you want another drink, thank you for stopping in. Uh, here's your check. My regular podcast hours are as always every Sunday night at 7 p.m. So you can come back and see me then. Have a great night. Mm -hmm.